Everybody, 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 drop your Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross, and I'm joined, as always, by Evan Ross Katz. Hi, hello, Evan. Hello, hello. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I did that a little different this time. Sorry. So, Evan, we have a brand new season of Survivor. I never thought I'd see the day, but it is coming up very soon. In fact, next Wednesday, at the time of recording this, September 22nd, we are going to get a two-hour premiere of Survivor 41. And what's crazy is, I mean, in in addition to it being a new season, which is in itself exciting, I think, given the length of time between seasons, the unprecedented length of time, and then in addition to that, all of these changes happening in the game as a result of COVID, I think there's just a confluence of so much excitement about having the return of the show and also just, you know, excitement about how the game is going to change. Yeah, totally. And I think it seems to be poised to change in a lot of ways. All of the little teaser interviews that Jeff has been doing and the sort of snippet style trailers that have been released to date are hinting at a brand new era for the show, which is fitting as season 40, a nice round number, was winners at war, sort of collecting, well, not our favorite winners from the previous 39 seasons, but some of them. (laughs) So that was sort of a nice bookend and like, let's see where we're moving from here. And this is going to be the first season that you're watching in real time, correct? It is definitely the first season I'm watching in real time. And even just having this conversation today, this is my first time being able to get to know contestants in any kind of way. Um, And also just like, yeah, just all of this sort of like pre-season activity, um, not just you and I talking today, but even the podcast that I've been listening to and just seeing that anticipation build for a season is all extremely new to me. And it's a very different experience of watching the show. Yeah, and I'll admit, I rarely preseason, even though I've watched uh, almost every season when it's aired. I find the preseason to be quite daunting. There's a lot of material. And I'm also like, why get to know these people? You know, one of them is going to get voted off immediately. So I've never put the effort into getting to know them a whole lot before the season starts. Right. And I'm similar in terms of the other shows that I watch, you know, uh, for instance, this happens with Drag Race, where you sort of get the cast reveal in advance and people watch, they're called Meet the Queens videos on Drag Race and people watch them and they sort of say, here's who I'm rooting for. Or in the case of Drag Race, oftentimes people already know a certain queen because they're, you know, big on the local scene. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about this sort of format for me with Survivor, I have a big... uh, I don't like people talking about themselves uh, in like the format of reality television being like, I am this person and here's how I am going to play the game. I'm just not a big fan of that. So when you and I were speaking prior to recording this, I I kind of had a, I had, I wasn't vibing so much with the cast, but in sort of thinking about it, it's less that I wasn't vibing with the cast and more just the format of sort of. I don't need a lot of like discussion about what you're going to do. It's like, show me, don't tell me. Mm -hmm. But I also understand that like the format of, of preseason fodder is 
tell me, you know, by nature, they are forced to tell. So yeah, I, I have to say, I'm not so sure I'm loving like the preseason interviews and some of the questions that they're being asked and the monotony of answers. But I think that's less uh, of a bone I have with Survivor and so much as I do with just, you know, pre-seasoning in general. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk about the season a little bit. Here's what we know. The season is Survivor 41. This is the first season of Survivor to not have a subtitle, I guess it's called, um, aside from perhaps the first season, which was retroactively named Borneo. Moving forward, Jeff says we will only get numbered seasons. They will no longer build seasons around a theme or a particular twist that is location specific. Uh, This is quite a jarring change for me. I am still not used to it. I think that the names of Survivor seasons are iconic and really the name itself brings me back to that season and I can remember things based on that. I certainly, you know, do refer to certain seasons by their number, but not for the most part, no, I don't. How do you feel about the dropping of the subtitles? Not well. Um, I think like a lot of the changes that were kind of, that we've seen been announced so far, the question kind of just becomes why. Um, and, and like, I have the exact same thought that you did, which is like, I just, you know, season 16 is Micronesia. Micronesia happens to be season 16. You know, it's like one, but not And Micronesia happens to be fans versus favorites, all of which, you know, exactly. are better than calling it 16. I guess my question is just like in the conception of like this new era of Survivor, because I definitely feel like this is distinctly them saying, planting their flag and saying, this is a new kind of game. That to me just feels like such an odd decision because I feel like there's just going to be a lot of confusion when talking about it moving forward because inevitably there's going to be someone saying, oh, season 43, and they're going to be like, oh, what was that season again? You know, Mm -hmm. I just think that, you know, people, especially when you're into the 40s now, you know, where there are so many seasons, I feel like not giving it a distinct name like Brains versus Bronze versus Beauty um, as convoluted as that name is, but not giving it something so specific, I just think lends itself to a lot of fan confusion. Um, And there already is a lot of confusion when there are so many, you know, we have multiple fans versus favorite seasons or multiple brains versus bronze versus beauty or heroes versus villains and heroes versus hustlers versus healers. It's already convoluted. (laughs) So this just feels like it's adding to the mess in a way that's less than helpful. Yeah. Since you mentioned Triple H, I think that you know, we started to see the names getting stupid recently. And so on one hand, I'm like, okay, I like that they're dropping sort of like casting stunts, casting themes and things like that. But, you know, it would be great to be able to get a location name. I know that we can't really do that anymore because we've been in Fiji for God knows how many years now, like seven seasons. Uh, So they've run out of location names probably, but, you know, maybe pick up and move and give us a survivor i don't know and what's so odd is it's like if any if there was any time in survivor history that sort of lent itself to moving the show outside of fiji it is now i not to like jump ahead but i just i i think i will remain so perplexed that this show 
took this length of time off because of the tourism board in Fiji and did not have the sort of wherewithal to say, let's move somewhere else. I mean, the fact that we got a full on Big Brother season, which, you know, I think films over the course of four months and is also filmed in isolation. We've just seen so many both reality shows and film productions pick up shooting months and months ago. The fact that we've had to wait this long and have addendums made to the game as a result of COVID, considering where we're at right now, is is quite jarring. So, yeah, I mean, I think that... Uh I'm glad to see the show back, but I just am perplexed. I know there was a an article that came out not too long ago saying that they were considering filming the season in, I believe it was Georgia or Hawaii Georgia. at one point. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I would have loved to see that. Like, yeah, totally. I, yeah, it's just sort of, it's odd to think that as as this game, in, in, from what I've seen over, over the, <laughs> I was going to say years, but year and a half that I've been watching it, is this game really does roll well with the punches. And I felt like COVID was a bizarre instance in which they really remained sort of halted. And it, it, it seemed uh, to grow more and more uh obvious when so many other shows were resuming and and i really feel like survivor is one of the last uh like entities that we knew that has you know even broadway is back before survivor and that's an in-person uh it's just it's odd so it is back nonetheless and i think maybe the anticipation (laughs) is going to help things i think a lot of people found this show during the pandemic i think the ratings will likely be higher than some of the more recent seasons because of that and because of the anticipation So let's talk about some other things Jeff has revealed in his preseason interviews. He is calling this a faster and more dangerous and more intense game. He keeps referring to the monster that is the game. And he says that players are going to be kept off balance and that making assumptions is going to get them burned, which to me reads as we've changed the rules of the show. Or we may change them halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I had sort of thought, probably naively, that they may roll back some of the twists and advantages that they have dug themselves into in the past few years. Um, because people have been finding the show over the pandemic and they're watching old seasons and they're loving it and that those actually work in 2020 and 2021, I thought maybe they'd say, oh, okay, let's strip it back a little bit. And even that concept would keep the players on their toes because they would think that more is going on than actually is. Um, But it seems they haven't done that. All signs point to many, many twists and advantages. There is actually a trailer out that sort of suggests there's some kind of roulette wheel where you may get an advantage or you may lose your vote. Uh, we get a glimpse of an adv- an advantage called the beware advantage, which if you ha- take, you have to do some risky move in order to keep it. So I think we're going to see many twists and advantages. I think I know how you feel about that, but let's hear it. Yeah, I mean, obviously not a fan of more advantages, but like you, I had the same thought process, which is like, there's a way in which they can change things up by, for instance, not having the tribe swap, right? Because I feel like, you know, so many players now go into the show knowing that there are going to be certain things that happen. They know, you know, about when the merge will happen, a tribe swap is going to happen, so you kind of, you know, you need to remain sort of flexible with your alliances, etc. And there's ways in which they sort of manipulate the game by just... as 
as you mentioned, going back to basics, essentially. And I do think that would actually throw people off. And even the new school viewers, because, you know, we talk about all these people discovering the show in COVID, but in my experience and sort of being new to this fandom, there are a great amount of people that have never seen seasons one through 10 ever. I feel mm-hmm. like uh, for a lot of people, Micronesia really is like the oldest school that they go. Maybe a Cook Island sometimes. So I think that would have been really fun. But as is indicated with every single thing we've heard out of Jeff's mouth so far, it's like they are leaning heavily into like expect the unexpected. Like you think you know the game, you don't know the game. And that's frustrating as someone that just knows the game, loves the game and missed the game. Mm -hmm. I feel like this sort of effort to sort of like, twist the game is so strange considering I think a lot of us just want Survivor back. So the idea that they need to like suddenly come at it from a new angle, uh, given that, you know, we're just sort of fiending for Survivor uh, is an odd decision, but not a surprising decision. You know, what scared me is that one of the very first things that they released preseason, I think the day they released the cast, they released this like three minute video of Jeff talking about the season And essentially his speech was going over past twists and being like, nobody liked the twists when we did them. Nobody liked the tribe swap in Africa, but then you grow to love it. Nobody liked the hidden immunity idol and now people love it. So it's like a very bad sign for me when Jeff is preparing us to hate the twists. (laughs) I just, it gives me a bad vibe because you know it's coming and we're going to hate it. But right. it is what it is at this point. I feel like that's just the trade-off. We're getting a new survivor and we have to have let Jeff have his fun. I was going to add really quick, but with regards to Jeff saying that, I don't think it's that sort of like finite, right? It's like, yes, I'm not a huge fan of the Immunity Idol, but I'm mostly not a fan of it because of how it often plays out in the game where you have these dominant physical men running out into the woods and finding it. I am all about there being an idol in this game if there was just more sort of finesse in sort of how it was obtained. So this is an example of like, Jeff says something sometimes and makes a sort of like blanket statement that like, Mm -hmm. I think is a little bit more nuanced than he's making it out to be. I don't think the fandom universally does like something or doesn't like something. I think there's always room to discuss okay, the fandom feels a certain way about this, and why might that be? I'm more interested in that conversation than sort of like, idle good, you know, idle bad. It's not that simple. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I think that 90 to 95% of the fandom love the Hidden Immunity Idol. We don't love four in play at once. Right. So, yeah, it is nuanced. And you know what? I've never come around to the tribe swap. I hate tribe swaps, but that's a, that's a story for another episode. There is a huge change coming to this that we know about, and that is the length of the game. Survivor has always been 39 days, except for in season two, it was uh, 42 days, I believe. For the first time ever, we are getting a 26-day season, which I understand is happening in this season and next season and may go into the future. I think that this has to do with the time that they're able to film in Fiji and building in time to quarantine for the crew and the cast. Uh, but it's sort of unclear, but that's that's the facts. We're still getting 18 cast members, but there's 26 days. The way they're pitching it is this is going to be a very fast-paced game. What are your thoughts on the shortened time frame? Okay, I'm no doctor. I'm no doctor. <laughs> 
but I don't get it. I don't understand if you have a fully vaccinated cast and they fly to Fiji and they get tested for COVID and all of them test negative. I do not understand what this quarantine is or why production could not be expanded in any way. And I have to say, I think this 26 days like fucks up the game supremely. I think that for lovers of the adventure component of the game, um, it's a big sort of, you know, middle finger in our faces. I think that, and again, this is why I think they, there's so much discussion about idols and strategy and gameplay, which no doubt is a huge part of the game, but so is just surviving on this island for that length of time and both the physical and mental toll that it takes. And I think we talk a lot about the physical, but even just the mental toll of being away from your loved ones for 39 days, Mm -hmm. um, no matter what, right? Because even the jury, you're seeing them, yes, they've got, they start getting food and whatnot, but they're still also having to be away from those they love. Uh, And also just the uh, emotional uh, toll of being sort of in that solitude, right? Like of not being around other human beings besides the same you know eight or however many people are are there on the island i just think that the difference between 26 and 39 days is so severe and i think i could be okay with it if it was like okay we have to do it for these two seasons because you know of extenuating circumstances but the fact that we're hearing that this might be how things are moving forward it, it, it makes me so angry, especially <laughs> in knowing that uh, Australian Survivor, you would know the exact number. What, how, how long are they so, out there? So this is the thing. Australian Survivor changes its length of days season to season. And the season that just completed, I believe, was 48 days. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. The, but the thing is, look, I've changed my opinion on this. When it first came out, I was like, fuck 26 days. That is not Survivor. Like the game is just getting going at 26 days in a typical season of survivor now having watched australian survivor uh brains versus brawn this latest season and i was like holy shit 48 days this is going to be crazy i didn't notice a difference and i don't think i'm going to notice a difference with the 26 day game the way that survivor runs is on this three-day schedule right so you have a reward day and then you have an immunity and tribal day The third day is a day off. It's a day in between where things don't really happen. Maybe there's some idol hunting and there's probably a lot of social game going on, but it's stuff that doesn't get put in the show. And this is getting to maybe my complaint about how the show is edited, but I think the show is edited in such a way that we're missing a lot of really important stuff and it's that camp life. And so it Sometimes it doesn't make sense why people that we love don't get votes in a final tribal, uh, but it's because we're not getting a sense of what it's like living with them. And so I think if I'm looking for a silver lining here to the 26 days, it's that we may get a fuller story on our TV screens. Uh, we may not be having, you know, there's like 24 hours of, in survivor's mind, probably cuttable material, unless someone's finding an idol on that off day. So I feel we may get a better picture of what's going on on the island. That could very well be. And I, and I, I truly do like the optimism. I'm of the mindset <laughs> of more content to work off of, the better for the editors. Um, but I can also understand the argument that's like by sort of synthesizing the game in this way, it can force bigger moves to happen quicker. 
But I think the part of it that's rubbing me the wrong way the most is the way Jeff and his subsequent interviews about this season has been talking it up in such a way where it's like 26 days is actually more intense. That's like the vibe he's giving off. Yeah. And like, that's just not true. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. I understand that like, it's still going to be physically grueling. And obviously they're going to have to do challenges in closer succession now. So I'm sure that their body is going to take a toll in not having the rest day that you just spoke of. Like that no doubt will impact the game, but to act as though 26 days on this Island is somehow harder than 39 days to me, that makes me as a viewer feel like I'm not being treated like a smart person. And that's a big, (laughs) big issue I have. And one of the things that I think Survivor is so good at so often is treating its viewers like respectably. And again, it's just like one of those things where it's like, wait, you're telling me that less is going to be harder. You know, it's one of those things where I can't help but sort of in my mind be like, "What, what is being said here? So I just wish there was, I'm I'm fine with the messaging being the game is going to be just as hard, even though I don't believe that to be true. I'm fine with that messaging, but it's the the game will be harder. I'm having trouble threading the needle on that. Yeah, I hear you on that. And, you know, they are out there for a very long time with the quarantine, but quarantine doesn't count, of course. I mean, they are isolated, but they're not playing Survivor in those days. And so that's a huge you know, weight off the mind, uh, and they're eating normally, right? So there is that. Well, okay, so since you mentioned that Jeff says the game is going to be harder, uh, let's look at his evidence. So he refers specifically to the scarcity of reward challenges. So there will be less reward challenges, and the tribes will not be given a food staple, which has always been in recent seasons, rice. So they, as we understand it, they will not be given rice and they will not be given many reward challenges is how I'm reading that, uh, which I don't know. Maybe they're going to tie up some rewards with immunity. I don't see how they can give them nothing. I mean, they've tried that a couple of times in the past, but ultimately they just get what they need through reward challenges. And I feel like eventually they get enough food or they win food supplies. So I'm a little like unsure of how this is actually going to play out. It's nice to say they're not going to be given any food, but ever. And if so, does not getting any food make those 26 days as hard as 39 days? I don't know. Can you live off coconuts? Also, just less reward challenges means less of the tribes interacting with one another, less sort of, you know, uh, filmed elements of the game. So while I understand, like, what's trying to be messaged there, it's like, yes, they have less opportunity to have food. Uh, What I'm hearing is, well, there's less challenges that I, as a viewer, get to look forward to. So I don't know if that's, like, a great trade-off. Yeah, I mean, I don't need more challenges. I know, I'd much rather I, have more camp life. I was going to say, you, I like the challenges more than you do, but I am aligned with you in the sense of like, yes, if more camp life, I have to say, real quick aside, I am currently watching uh, David versus Goliath right now, and the amount of camp life 
is giving me such old school survivor mm-hmm. that just I had to insert a mention of it. But yes, I am all about camp life. So yes, I, I and, and and not for nothing, this could be a season in which we're given quite a lot more camp life, uh, which could be exciting. I feel like I'm projecting a lot of negativity, um, which is because that's how I feel. <laughs> but I, the optimist that lives deep within me, yes, I think that that is one thing that can come of this less reward challenges is the opportunity to get to know our contestants better. Yeah. Okay. I hear you. Uh, and you know what I miss? I'll miss the rewards themselves. Like though that's always fun. It's fun to see a tribe go eat together, go to a location together, go swim in a cool location together. Like that is enjoyable and it makes the show fun to watch as opposed to watching a bunch of people suffering with no rice. Uh, so I'm curious how that's going to play out, but uh, I'm open to it. I, I, you know, I've thought in the past few seasons, uh, I don't know, like 10 seasons or so, they're given too much food. And we even see the players bargaining with Jeff for more food because they run out. And I think they've gotten very comfortable. So I'm kind of, com- I'm okay with seeing them go in with no rations. Like that is Survivor. Yes, I could not agree with you more. It's especially having watched all of these seasons in succession as I have watching the rewards grow from you know season two where you have the doritos with with tina famously <laughs> doritos when, yeah when, when the reward is like and literally i think it's a few like they count the number of doritos that they're given yeah, yeah and and they are so excited by that and cut to like the 30s and it's just like here is a barbecue and the menu is just goes on and on and on and it's just like why like yeah i am constantly shocked by how much these people eat so yes i i'm all for cutting that back one thing i wanted to add though that the potential for having less rewards uh can bring about is those moments when you have people from uh, opposing alliances together on a reward Mm -hmm. and that opportunity that can arise in getting someone away from their alliance or in sort of having two alliances intermix i think there's a lot of uh, gameplay that can happen on rewards important gameplay uh that could be missed by having less reward challenges totally totally i think it's a major component of the game so i hope it still exists sort of like in the post-merge world but we will see okay let's talk about the game within a game and i don't know exactly what this is i don't think silky's involved (laughs) but (laughs) maybe they're introducing a game within the game and uh this is for people at home to play along the way jeff has been pitching it is for the kids to play along so there will be little puzzles that they can find throughout the episodes which are actually potentially a part of the actual set pieces because he was uh, very proud that the players themselves never noticed anything going on um I like to me this is whatever to me this is the mole I don't know if you watched the mole Anderson Cooper hosted yes well in the mole the whole premise is that you have a saboteur sabotaging challenges for the team and at the end of every episode they take a test to try to guess who the mole is and whoever is at the end guesses who the mole is wins right so throughout that show they promoted to the audience that there were clues hidden in every episode as to the uh, identity of the mole. This feels very the mole to me, but the fact that it's geared towards kids, I feel like is not, it's missing the fun element. It's not going to keep me watching. I'm not looking out for the puzzles. 
again, like I've never, I'm what, 37 seasons deep and never once have I, besides maybe like Redemption <laughs> Island and Heroes versus Hustlers versus Healers, have I been bored watching this show? So I, to me, it's just, I already feel like the show's gotten really convoluted with the advantages. And so to add this on feels exhausting. Um, but I'm, I'm one of those people where I'm kind of like, okay, they've clearly made the intention They've made the attention clear that, that the target demo for this game within a game is not us, the, your yeah. prototypical survivor viewer. So there's a world in which it's not something that we really notice um, because it requires you to go online or whatever to sort of activate the this new element. So I guess what I'm worried about, though, is just how much messaging about the game within the game we're going to get during the show itself because that, yeah. to me, could be a distraction. It feels to me like it's something they're going to promote in the bumpers of the episode going to commercial. Like, that's my hope. I hope it really has nothing more than that. And I hope that we are never talking about the game within the game again. Agreed. Okay. Something else that we know is that Jeff is going to break the fourth wall this season. He is going to explain things to the audience and give them previews of the twists and situations that are to come so that we can, I guess, put ourselves in the shoes of the players and think about how we would react knowing this information that the players don't know. So he might say, I don't know, I'm making this up, but he might say, in two episodes, there's going to be a tribe swap, or there's a hidden immunity idol planted, you know, you know, at the camp. I, like, I don't know how this is going to work, and I don't know why he's doing it. He broke the fourth wall in season one when he would sort of like explain what is going on in the show and what tribal council is and what the tribes are doing, and it was necessary then. But I don't know what's going on here. Do you have any thoughts about this? Not many, but what's fascinating is in the early, the first two seasons of Sex and the City and on the early seasons of The Real Housewives, they used to break the fourth wall and both shows ultimately realized that this was an ineffective storytelling method and, and you know, no longer <laughs> deployed it. So what's odd to me is like, this to me feels like I've seen two very famous shows have this as be a part of it and then ditch it very quickly. So the idea that this show that's 20 years old is suddenly being like, let's now break the fourth wall feels <laughs> a little bit like, let's just, you know, throw ideas out and, and see what sticks. So I wish there was a little bit more reasoning put into a change as severe as this, as to say like, Hey, we noticed this was happening in the game and this, this is our, we're like, like I'd love to see sort of fixes, but this to me just feels like, adding a new thing for the sake of adding a new mm -hmm. thing. But as you just pointed out, I don't really know like how this materializes. Um, and is this strictly Jeff or like are the, is there a world in which it's like they, I mean, because in some senses, like the confessionals are a breaking of the fourth wall. So like, is there a world in which they deliver their confessionals in the moment, like right after they win the challenge, they go off and talk directly to the camera a la Valerie Cherish. Like, I guess I just am, I am curious to see, is it just Jeff and, and what this will be like? But this this twist or this, this addition ultimately feels excessive. Yeah, I'll tell you what, this concerns me because it sounds to me like they are in a situation where Jeff needs to explain the twists to come. And that means the twists are too complicated. 
right? So I, I think it's I think it's twofold. One, there are a whole bunch of new twists, and he needs to explain them to the audience because they probably don't make sense in the context of Survivor as the game we know. And two, he is targeting children, and this game is already maybe a little too complex for kids to understand, and so he's explaining it to them. It feels very like children's programming, like, you know, what is an idol? I'll explain it to you. Or what is this? Uh, what is a beware advantage? Well, if you touch this piece of paper, you have to keep it. It's not my vibe. I think I could see this getting ditched very quickly. Uh, I can't see it being endearing or interesting in any way. And if the twists can't speak for themselves, there's something wrong with your twist. Correct. And I think that because we're going into this new format of seasons being just numbers and not themed, there's a world in which some of these new additions to the game play into some kind of overarching theme that sort of gives it a container to live within. But because season 41 is simply season 41, all of these changes happening have to live within a framework that's just survivor and no longer the specific season. And so I think that like, again, if this was some season in which it's like the main theme was the breaking of the fourth wall, that is the, that, that is how season 41 is be, going to be defined. I could be more open to it, but like one of my curiosities with this, in addition to some of the other things we're hearing about, is is this just for this season? Uh, is this for both the next two seasons? Is this something that they are testing out and want to see how we, how we, the audience, feels about it? Uh, has Mike White been asked about his thoughts on these things? Like, how <laughs> much of this is sort of... Uh, a test run for the future of Survivor as a franchise and how much of it is sort of just getting the gas back on the pedal. Yeah, yeah. Okay, something else that is changing this season, and I will stop complaining because this one I love, is that the rumor is, and apparently Jeff has said this, but I just can't find him saying this, the rumor is that in season 41, for the first time in 40 seasons, Jeff will reveal the winner on site. And I love that. I think it has to do with COVID restrictions and the fact that they did not want to be in another situation of revealing the winner over Zoom because that is so anticlimactic. Just ask RuPaul. And it's just going to be so nice. I've, I've wanted them to reveal the winner in person for so many years. I think people stopped caring about spoilers many many years ago with this show which is the reason that it wasn't uh, revealed in the first place and so I think now is the time if we're in a new era let's just you know let them have this moment of a winner reveal right after voting I think it's going to be so satisfying for them and so satisfying for us and not having to witness like Jeff walk into a a live studio audience and have everybody clapping and then see what everybody looks like with shaved faces and uh, you know, like a dress and everything like, like, I don't need to see that. I can tune into the reunion if there even is one uh, moving forward. I just want to see the game wrap up with a nice bow on it. And I think this is perfect. How do you feel about a winner reveal? I don't have strong feelings one way or the other, but I appreciate like your enthusiasm for it. it makes me say, oh yeah, that could be exciting. My one inkling as to why I think this would be a really good move for this particular season is I imagine there's going to be a unique cast camaraderie 
um, that's specific to this season because mm. of people having been in isolation for so long, um, both during COVID, but also when they first arrived on the island. And I think just a general excitement about Survivor being back from the players themselves. I know that there are some players that were already slated to play before COVID happened. And so I just think there's a... There's something special about this cast and, and having the opportunity to not only be on the show, but be on the show now that I feel like that final tribal will have a distinctly different feel. I don't think we're going to get like Corinne's in season 41. Yeah, hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about this cast then. Uh, we're going to run through all of the members of the cast at a very high level uh, based on tribe and talk about how we think they may fare. And maybe afterwards we'll make a winner pick or a first boot pick, uh, which we will absolutely be wrong about, but it's fun to do anyways. And you can follow along with us. Of course, all of the bios are out there. If you go to the Survivor website, if you go to Entertainment Weekly, if you go to Parade.com, you can take a look at all of these people and find out what they had to say about themselves before the game and... You can take a look at their pictures and see how you think that they might stack up because that's what we're doing right now. So let's start. We have three tribes. They are the Ua tribe in green, the Luvu tribe in blue, and the Yasa tribe in yellow. We have 18 contestants. It is a very normal seeming group to me. I don't know how you feel about them or maybe we'll reassess that towards the end, but they feel like average people to me, which is great. That's the kind of cast that I love. I believe that we have 10 POC on this cast, which is actually more than the 50%. So we love that. Uh, I guess the most diverse cast since Fiji. And so let's get into it. Let's start with Ua and Brad Reese. Brad is a 50-year-old cattle rancher from Wyoming. Apparently, he's the first contestant to come from Wyoming. I don't know if anybody cares except <laughs> his neighbors. <laughs> Brad says that he loves Ozzy and that he wants to play like Ozzy and like Boston Rob, which doesn't really make any sense to me because they play vastly different games. The reason I think he's saying this is that from what I can deduce about Brad, he has only watched seasons 21, 22, and 23. He tells this story about how his daughter uh, had a talk at her school from Holly Hoffman in season 21, Iconic. came home and was like, can we watch this show? And he's like, yeah. So he watches season 21. Next, he watched Ozzy's season where Sophie won, which is 23, but he calls it 22. But given the fact that he's referring to Boston Rob, I think we can safely say he watched at least those three seasons. Um, can we pause a, just to mention? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I just, I just want to, this is like superfluous, but important. Just the idea that like people are out in this world getting to see motivational speeches from Holly. <laughs> I am so jealous. And it's just here I want to say, uh, you know, there's little talk right now about returnees because we know the next two seasons um, are going to be all new players. And it's very likely from what I've heard that uh, season 43 will also be a new player season. But I just think this is important time to say Holly is one of those players that uh, has gone on to do very important work and would be very uh, well, I think, very well received in a returning player season. Okay. I think people forget Holly. 
I think people uh, forget Nicaragua in general. Yeah, yeah. And Holly has such an arc in Nicaragua. Absolutely. Know, filling someone's shoes with sand and, and drowning them uh, to really redeeming herself. So, yeah, that's Brad's gateway into Survivor. And he's uh, probably one of a very small select few who found that his way to Survivor through Holly Hoffman. Agreed. <laughs> uh, so Brad is super tall and kind of goofy. I think he's going to play like the dad type. He almost gives me like Keith vibes or even possibly like Dale vibes. Kelly Dale Wentworth, Kelly's father. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't strike me as super strategic. I don't know how far he can get. What are your thoughts on Brad? I think uh, it's interesting because like you kind of mentioned, there are, there are inklings of past players that I see in Brad, but I also feel like he has the distinction from the, my obvious go-tos in, in terms of who I would compare him to in that I think he could be a little bit more strong of a physical presence than, for instance, like you mentioned Dale, um, Kelly's dad. And like, I, I think that this Brad guy definitely seems stronger. Um, and I think that like there are obvious advantages just with being a tall person in terms of how you can perform in challenges. Um but like you said, doesn't seem overly strategic, but there's a world in which it's like if he can kind of play the provider role while also kind of just being uh, lying low, I think that could work really well for him. I could see uh, he's one of those ones where I see him either going out really early or staying really late into the game. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to take a different approach. I think he goes middle of the road. Mm. I think he's probably a loyal vote to keep along, but... He may be uh, a threat if he's super likable, which often these kind of guys are. So I could see him going out maybe shortly post-merge, just if I'm, you know, pulling something out of thin air. Okay, let's move on to Jeannie Chen, our second member of the Ua tribe. She is a 46-year-old grocery clerk from Portland, Oregon. She has a huge personality. She says she identifies with Sari, but also wants to play like Tony. Those are different games, again. <laughs> uh, she says she plans to take it slow in the game. She even said in an interview that when she hits the beach on day one, she's doing no strategizing, which is an interesting choice, especially given a 26-day season. But she kind of counteracts that in her later answers this is again these questionnaires are weird to me because it's like you have her saying that but then later on she's saying that she's going to make multiple alliances which is very strategic so i guess i just get confused or like she she later says she doesn't want to play like anybody else but then she says she wants to play like sari and tony so it's like there's a lot of like contradiction in these questionnaires that makes it hard to distinguish what kind of player this player is going to be. Cause yeah. I feel like oftentimes they're covering all their bases, you know, even just saying you want to play like Suri and Tony, which are like I, I, so antithetical game, like such antithetical gameplay that it's like, it's, it's strange to me that you'd even give both of those people. Uh, yeah. So she's, I, I feel like there's a certain extent to these interviews where it's, and, and of course, some of these people know Survivor better than others. You know, I think someone like Brad clearly doesn't know a whole lot of Survivor. Jeannie says that she watched Survivor uh, when it was on up until like season 20 and then lost touch and came back again. So, you know, her memory may not be totally polished on Survivor history. And I think there's an element to these interviews where you're kind of put on the spot and you're like, what player am I going to play like? Mm-hmm. Um who are two players I can remember? You know what I mean? 
And so it's maybe uh, not someone that she would play like, but somebody she admires. She must admire Ceri's game who wouldn't uh, and is impressed by Tony, I suppose. I do think too, not for nothing, I'm not a big fan of the question, who are you going to play like? Because for instance, no one is ever going to say, I'm going to play like Amber uh, from All Stars, mm-hmm. but it's like Amber won, right? So it's like, I think, and again, this goes into a deeper conversation, but there's a big difference. Like, gameplay is such a strange term uh, when we use it because there are lots of people that have played, like Andrea, for instance, in Karamoan, plays a fantastic game, um, but gets voted out, you know not early, but like just in the very middle of the road. Um, and then again, like you have contestants like Amber, who I don't think you would ever peg as having great gameplay, but scientifically she has some of the best gameplay she ever. She won, right. So when we say the word gameplay, I think it's worth sort of like, what are we really talking about? And I think that you're going to get sort of the answers are going to tend to lean towards players with the most bravada in their gameplay or the mm-hmm. most like sort of obvious moves. Uh, so that's why I don't tend to like love that question just because I think the field is pretty narrow. Yeah. Well, Evan, we'll put a pin in that because somebody here actually says that they want to play like Natalie White. So okay, if we're talking about Amber, somebody's <laughs> yeah. going to say it and we will get to her. Listen, I didn't know we were ever going to hear that name on our <laughs> podcast, so I'm glad we're, oh, we're yes, there. Oh, yes, we will. Uh, so Jeannie, she says she's going to rely on her social game uh, and that if there's something that the other players are not going to like about her is that she can't sit still and is constantly working is that going to translate into guilting others into work too much that could really rub people wrong uh, early in the game i think in my opinion genie has a huge personality she's very likable i think the audience is going to love her i think that she is very charismatic but everything that she is insinuating about her gameplay gives me a little bit of first boot vibes yeah my and impression she's, is she's, and she's not super athletic based on her i'm basing only on her appearance and she's on a very athletic tribe so i'm concerned about genie a little bit yeah i get the vibe that genie would go and make alliances with multiple people who would then have that conversation one day being like genie said this to me oh well genie said the complete opposite to me and that's sort mm-hmm. of coming to a head I also think it's worth mentioning here when we say uh, a player's social game, I think that term is a little confusing because I would say that Rudy Bosch from Borneo has one of the best social games of all time and yet is extremely unlikable as a human being, even to cast members on that cast. So I think oftentimes when these players are talking about social game, they're talking about likability, but I think Mm likability and social game are not the same thing. And I think you can have a really great social game and not be highly likable. So I think I I just want to sort of like, discern the lexicon here to say that I think Jeannie, what she has going for her is likability, but I do not sense that she is going to have a strong social game. Yeah, that's a very good distinction, and I think I agree with you when it comes to Jeannie. I would like to see many episodes of Jeannie, I just have a bad feeling. Okay, let's talk about Jairus, I believe is how you pronounce it, Robinson. Uh, I'm not going to have to pronounce it a whole lot because he's going by JD. JD is a 20-year-old college student uh, in Oklahoma City, and the players he says he wants to play like are Parvati, Fabio, Love, and Jeremy. So that's a pretty interesting trio that he's listed here. I think 
it's really interesting because he gives me sort of like surfer vibes. Mm-hmm. He looks like kind of like a cool young surfer skater dude. And I think that that's clearly why he's choosing Fabio here in his little triumvirate. Um, and of course, Parvati and Jeremy are both, uh, you know, inc- incredibly respected winners with great gameplay. Fabio is not that, despite the fact that he's won. Um, I like that he picked three winners, though, and I like that he threw Fabio out there. What do you think about JD? I think he seems definitely intriguing. Um, He definitely seems smart. He seems dynamic. He actually, the vibe he gave me um, was similar to Sean from Marquesas, actually. Um, And I definitely think he will be a fun player to watch. And I'm always sort of in search of, like, who is the player that I think people are going to root for, like, their journey on the show. And he feels like the player that I feel like viewers not holistically because i know everyone has their own experiences but he just feels like the kind of player that an audience member can key into and kind of go on the journey with so i definitely see him in it for the long game yeah and he's super young he's 20 years old playing this game so he's younger than the show itself and which i'm sure we're gonna have i was to just hear gonna a lot say <laughs> gonna hear a lot of that uh jeff's gonna bring that up a lot Uh, He hopes to be underestimated for his age because he does seem very smart. He's been in Toastmasters, which is that speech-making group, uh, since he was a kid. So he's obviously a good talker, and it's all about, like, sort of influencing people. Uh, So I think he's pretty well set up. Like, I, you know, if he can get far, he may do very well. He also says that he has the it factor that JT and Kim Spradlin have, which I think is a really interesting thing to (laughs) say about yourself. Um, but there's probably some truth to it. And not for nothing, I think that, and again, mind you, I don't know the last couple of winners of the show, but I do think that if the show is going to sort of capitalize on this swell of viewership that I think it's going to have, I do think that one of the challenges ahead is sort of creating longevity within the contestants themselves, right? Sort of like seeing them kind of like getting more Michael Yerger types that have a life outside mm-hmm. the show. And so I do think that having that it factor that he speaks of that from what I see of him, he really does possess that. I do think is going to be important because you want winners or even just finalists or even just contestants in general right now that, you know, kind of have the Vanjie effect that Drag Race had, which is that like, no matter how they do on the show itself, there's just a quality about them that really captures people. I think that, again, when we're sort of breaking down the nuance of what makes a social game, I think that it factor uh, can sort of factor into one's ability on the show, but also just the possibility of becoming someone post-show and also how that plays into the possibility of being a returning contestant. Yeah. Let's move on and talk about Ricard Foyer. I should have mentioned this is our second queer contestant. Jeannie Chen uh, is our first. So on this tribe alone, we have a very queer tribe, and I love that. So Ricard is a 31-year-old flight attendant from Cedro Woolley, Washington, I think is how that's pronounced. Uh, he's a friend of Kelly Wentworth's. Uh, he is the first cast member I saw because I happened to see uh, Kelly Wentworth's TikTok where she said, this is my friend after the cast was announced. So that's interesting. Uh, I wonder if that will speak to how he plans to play the game. Um, so he, like I said, is gay. He's married and has kids. He's deaf in one ear. Uh, and so this is the 
I believe only the third deaf contestant after Chrissy and uh, Nina from Worlds Apart. And I think that's going to be really interesting, right? Chrissy and Nina both really struggled uh, with with being hard of hearing. But I don't know. I'm, I'm getting a good vibe from Ricard. I think he's like a, I think he knows the game very well. Uh, he says he's going to play like Aubrey, but win, <laughs> which I love. Uh, and I just get the sense that he knows his survivor history and uh, is going to be a little bit of a game bot on this tribe. How do you feel about Ricard? I feel strongly about Ricard. He definitely, of all the contestants, has the most sort of like polished personality from these videos. Uh, but I do have the concern about sort of like the uh, the too diligent student going into the game, which is mm -hmm. to say that like, you can have watched every episode of this series and studied it to a fault in my mind. So I think knowing Survivor well uh, is an advantage going into the show, but it is not necessarily going to take you far if it's not deployed correctly. Um, and so I think that there are just other important skill sets in sort of ingratiating yourself within the game itself and not wanting to seem like, you know, for instance, if you give up to your tribe the fact that you know the game well, they might see that as an asset, right? Because you might know, okay, there's, you know, for instance, they might not know that there's an idol hidden, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there's a world in which that sort of can put a target on your back and make people worry that you know the game too well. We've seen that play out in past mm -hmm. seasons. So I think Ricard's struggle is kind of going to be balancing confidence with overconfidence, which I'm optimistic he can do that, but I just think he really needs to calibrate um, his own aptitude within the game and make sure that that is not perceived by his tribe mates or those against him as a liability. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But let's look at this. Gay, flight attendant, student of Survivor. Ring any bells? Todd Herzog. <laughs> mm. So I don't know. I don't know what that says for his chances. Times have changed since Todd won Survivor, but uh, he could have a good chance. I did write down that he's looking for an emotional connection and an alliance, so he's not just looking for someone who promises to take him to the end. I think that's a really interesting distinction to totally make. Totally agree. Uh, because a lot of people are just looking for numbers. And I think, like, let's look at Todd again. Like, his friendship with Amanda and Courtney, though maybe Courtney didn't feel the same way in return, I think was genuine. And I think that really can solidify in an alliance in a way that we don't often see on Modern Survivor. I agree wholeheartedly. I also think as a viewer, this is one of, like, the most important factors for me in terms of, like, my own investment in the show. But you think back upon, you know, take, like, a Steven and JT, for instance, and mm -hmm. the way in which that the depth of their connection, or, again, I think a lot about Kim and Chelsea in One World, um, and how in which it's, like, you saw Chelsea literally sacrificing her own game because she had made such a connection in the game that she wanted to see through outside of the game. So I think the fact that he has that inclination this early on to like seek out those sort of meaningful connections and, and not have them be strategic, I think tells you a lot about the, 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 the level of gameplay that he is capable of, which I hope we'll be able to see play out. I also found out just today when I was doing my last minute research that he has 218,000 followers on TikTok, which is wild. <clears throat> Anyways, I haven't looked at his TikTok. 
<laughs> Let's move on to Sarah Wilson. She's a 24-year-old healthcare consultant, an MIT grad. Um, she is currently residing in Boston, Massachusetts. She strikes me as incredibly smart, given you know what she does and where she came from. She's a long-distance swimmer, and she talks about being able to overcome pain in her swimming and, I guess, in sports in general. And the thing that the flag that this raised for me was, and I know this is going to mean nothing to you, but maybe some of our viewers have watched Australian Survivor. She really reminds me of Haley in that sense. And Haley's whole thing was like, I can overcome pain in challenges. And that was a huge asset, it turned out. So I think that if Sarah is able to do that, that's huge. Like that will make her a challenge beast, not just for her tribe, but maybe even a challenge threat post-merge. Uh, she says, this is the most interesting thing about Sarah. She says she wants to align with somebody that no one would expect her to align with. She wants to align with someone who's the opposite of her. So that's really interesting. And when we get to, uh, to our last person on this tribe, I'd like to talk about who she might align with. What are your thoughts on Sarah? I think that, first of all, that strategy to me, I think is genius. I think it is not deployed nearly enough. Um I think the one challenge that that presents is sort of if you can link up with that person, A, gaining their loyalty because mm -hmm. the fact that they are the least likely to, to team up with you, uh, can there can be room for deception very early because of sort of the expectation that, well, this person might waver, who's going to waver first? So you really need to like lock that in. But I think that that is, I can't think of a much smarter intention in terms of strategy the other thing that's tricky with that and the other thing with that is just sort of like strategizing with that person in terms of how you're going to act around camp because you don't want to seem never spend any time together mm, like yes. there's a little bit of acting that's required in sort of formulating an inorganic relationship but that's secretly rooted in something so i just think that requires a little bit of finesse that you have to make sure both people are adept at you know for instance there might be a time if you're working with someone who no one knows that you're aligned with that someone that you are more obviously aligned with might suggest putting up someone on your secret alliance and you need to have someone that is going to be good in that situation in, in terms of getting the target off of your secret alliances back without putting a target on yourself by making it seem strange that you're gunning so hard for this person and not that person. So there's a, an advanced level of gameplay that's required for what she's after, but I definitely think that I get the sense that she's up for it. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really interested to see how she pulls this off. I think it presents a lot of challenges, but I really want to see her try. Like I hope this isn't just a pregame strategy. I want to see it actually take place. Uh, and that's going to be interesting to watch. Let's get on to our final contestant on this tribe, Chantel Smith, who, according to Parade, is going to be going just by the name Shan on Survivor. So Shan is a 35-year-old pastor. She's originally from Toronto. So this is our first Toronto girl this season, uh, but though she currently lives in Washington, D.C. She says that she wants to play like Kim Parvati and Ty in terms of finding idols, I guess, is what she said. Uh, so she's a pastor, but she says that she's not going to let her religious beliefs dictate how she's going to act in the game. Uh, and she has a really interesting backstory. So first of all, the pastor thing turns me off immediately. 
And she's also a little bit TikTok famous. She's got 184,000 followers. I have looked at her TikTok and they are all about God. All of them. And some of them are tongue-in-cheek and she puts in her profile that she's an ally to the LGBTQ community. Not that being a pastor means that you're not, but that's, you know, that's the vibe I immediately get. So I'm glad to see that. Um, but the God thing turns me off. I am glad to see her say she's, you know, not letting religion dictate how she's acting in the game. But I really want to see none of it in the game. What are your thoughts on Shan? Mm, uh, <laughs> yeah, I have a similar reaction to you when I hear religion and survivor i'm immediately just like i don't know mark burnett just immediately springs into my mind and sort of like uh i just see him like sort of like whittling his his thumbs in a uh evil kind of way uh but um i guess the thing that stands out for me with her is like sort of offering up her willing like she's like i'm a pastor but i'm not but i'm willing to sort of deceive blah 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 and it's kind of like Okay, so then, so what is like, what are the morals that you stand on for this game? Is my question. Mm -hmm. Just because I do see a world in which it's like you come in there and you're kind of like, I'm a pastor, um, but I'm not going to let being a pastor determine how I play the game. But the fact that she sort of laid out the fact that she's willing to do things that are completely antithetical to being a pastor, like deception and whatnot, without sort of having a moment where she had to choose you know what i mean like her offering mm -hmm. that up to me is a red flag in the sense that i just think she's going to make enemies quickly and i also just think knowing what i know what i see about the rest of this cast so far um i feel like her being a pastor is going to be more of an alienating uh distinction about her than it is something that's going to have people gravitating towards her I think on the flip side to that, the other thing which I did not mention is she has a really interesting backstory. Uh, when she was a child, she was put into the foster care system and then joined a gang uh, in her teens. So this is all pre-pastor life. I think, like, it's hard to tell with her. Uh, is she going to be a little bit more approachable than a typical pastor? I think she would be. And so I think she could make friends on this tribe quite easily. So she is the last member of this tribe that we're talking about. So let's just quickly touch on the dynamic of this tribe. So again, we have Brad, we have Jeannie, we have JD, Ricard, Sarah, and Shan. I do see a world in which Shan, Sarah, Ricard, and JD could be quite friendly with one another. Mm -hmm. You know, they're all like sort of the younger people, which would leave Jeannie and Brad on the outs, but maybe Jeannie and Brad are, are quick friends and they just need the third. Or do Ricard and Jeannie link up as the two queer people on the tribe? Um, and do they pull someone else in? It's really interesting, this six, this number six, because you kind of just need three and then someone else or three and an advantage. Totally. Have we had a season start off with three tribes of six i know we have before but when was the last time uh, i can't remember yeah because i feel like we get a lot of heroes hustlers healers that sounds right um but one thing i do want to mention about uh genie and ricard is in ricard's video he made it clear how important it was to him to be a deaf queer 
Brown winner on the show. And so mm. I think that's going to be something that gives him an intrinsic connection to Jeannie from the outset, um, is that I just think that they're going to link up. Uh, I, I just don't see a world in which they're not either in a, in some kind of alliance together or looking out for one another in the game. I just feel like... Uh, being that he was so explicit about his intent in wanting his win to be meaningful and knowing that her win would be so meaningful, I feel like that's going to weigh on matters in a, in a great way. That's interesting. That's an interesting take. Uh, I could also see him, I could see him not wanting to work with Jeannie. If Jeannie is a challenge liability, I could see him getting turned off by that. But I literally have no idea that Jeannie's, Jeannie is a challenge liability and I shouldn't be basing this off uh, just like surface level things. But the other interesting thing about this tribe is who is Sarah going to pick? Who's the opposite of Sarah if she's truly going to pursue this idea of aligning with somebody who's the opposite of her? Right, because my obvious thing in, in looking at that would be Jeannie, but it's like, do you want to align yourself with someone who could be strategic, who could be not physically dominant in the game? I don't know. So, yeah, I think I could that- see her trying to go with Brad, the cattle rancher. But that to me um, feels a little obvious, to be honest. Is that a little dad-daughter? Yeah. Yeah, so... Then it then is it Ricard? Or also there's the reality in which it's like they're more forming a larger alliance and she waits until the merge or some yeah. kind of swap to sort of form something a little bit more unexpected because when you only have five options, uh, how unexpected can it really be? True, true. I just really want to see that actually play out. I think that's a really interesting strategy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's move on to the Luvu tribe and talk about some of these people. So we have Danny McRae, who's a 33-year-old former NFL player from Frisco, Texas. Uh, he started watching Survivor when he retired from the NFL in 2015. After he retired, he got an MBA. So, you know, he's, you know, keeping his mind active. He's obviously incredibly physical. Uh, He's a huge guy. I mean, he's an NFL player. He says that he wants to align with competitive players and he values strategy over social game. So, you know, very new school watcher. Um, And he's hoping to be underestimated for his intelligence. Uh, He says that he wants to play like Ben (laughs) in Heroes, Hustlers, Sealers, which is, I guess, just win without deserving it. Okay. (laughs) What do you think of Danny? I mean, I think the fact that he wants to play like Ben sort of tells you everything about how I'm going to look at him. I guess I would say, I don't have a lot to say about him, but my one comment would be, I just feel like we've gotten so many ex-professional sports players Mm -hmm. on the show before, and being that the strategy that he's offering up is not out of sync with any of the other ones, basically Mm -hmm. sounds like he is going to be dominant and wants to align with other dominant players, which is prototypical for not only former athletes on the show, but also just these like sort of big brawny guys tend to align with other big brawny guys. So had he come in with the strategy of like, I want to align with the person that people would least expect. I would be a lot Mm -hmm. more intrigued by him from the outset, but he's just not delivering anything from this interview. That's outside of variants of players we've seen on the show that I don't think he gives us anything to get particularly excited about, especially when Ben is your player of choice. We've seen a thousand times he's going to be kept around to help them win challenges and voted off right before the merge or right after the merge. That's it. That's what I see for Danny. Okay, let's move on to Deshaun Radden, who is already creating a hashtag for himself, which I hate. Hashtag DVSDRad. 
Uh, he is 26 years old. He's from San Bernardino. He currently lives in Miami. He's a medical student. We got a lot of students. We got a lot of mm-hmm. students and recent grads. He says he's an empath um, and he wants to play a social game. He wants to play the social game of Sari and the physical game of Wendell. Uh, he plans to be one way with contestants, but a devious schemer in confessionals. So that's where he comes up with his hashtag devious DRAD. I think that that's a lofty goal to come into the game with. Uh, it's It feels overthought to me. Um, I'm going to be really mean in my confessionals. You know, I can't imagine Courtney going into Survivor China being like, I'm going to be really mean in my confessionals and that's going to be my thing. Um I think to premeditate that is it's a little modern reality TV. You know, we've seen it a hundred times and to say that he's going to be, you know, sweet as pie in person in face to face with his other, uh, tribe mates. I don't see it getting pulled off to be honest. And you know, there's only, you can only be devious without getting caught for like one move and then your secrets out anyways. What do you think of Deshaun? Yeah, I definitely, I do not see him going far at all. I think that uh, he's definitely giving me Big Brother vibes. Um, Big Brother, the TV show. Uh, Just in like, as you mentioned, like doing this sort of like hashtag at the outset. That's just, it's a little too, it it reads as desperate to me. Um, And he strikes me as someone who has a lot bigger of a personality than he realizes, which I think is a huge detriment early on in the game. When I think the important thing is sort of finding that sort of balance of fitting in and just kind of not standing out at all, but also wanting to like, you know, prove your worth around the tribe itself. I just, I see him as being boisterous and getting on someone's nerves and, and not kind of being fully aware of how he comes off to others, which I think is a, huge detriment early on in the game uh, that we see people fail at time and time again is sort of thinking that they seem one way. And if his whole intention is I'm going to be sweet as pie to their face, blah, blah, blah. I I feel like people will see through that. I see through it in just watching his video. I don't think he's going to be like the smooth talker he thinks he is. Yeah. My hope for Deshaun, because I actually think that he is kind of a charismatic guy. I could see that people would get along with him. I hope that he gets out there and this, doesn't pan out and he realizes this is not a winning strategy and i hope he's just himself because i think he could actually probably go pretty far he looks physical enough he's obviously very smart like i think he's set up to go far but if he's choosing to play this reality tv villain i think that's a losing strategy let's talk about erica erica kasupanen i'm sure i'm pronouncing that wrong she is my Toronto girl. She is from Niagara Falls. She currently lives in Toronto. She's a communications manager. She actually left her job to play Survivor. She was originally scheduled to go out there in the spring of 2020 uh, and had to put a hold on that through the uh, entire pandemic. There's really been a mix in this cast uh, of at least the people who actually say when they were cast. Some were cast as early as uh, this spring or as late as this spring and as early as, uh, you know, like early 2020. So I couldn't imagine waiting like over a year to go out there and play after knowing that you had been cast. But uh, that is what Erica did. And she's five feet tall, but she's athletic. Uh, I think they've shown some video of her boxing. Uh, She says that she wants to play like Todd and Brenda, which is 
an ideal duo for me. And she seems to know her survivor. What she said about Brenda is she said that she wants to play like Brenda on the outside, Todd underneath. She said, Brenda is physically strong, socially aware, and not afraid to show her teeth. Which I think is really (laughs) funny because she's also not afraid to show Dawn's teeth. (laughs) And so like, if that is a purposeful reference in her bio, she's a genius. The thing that concerns me about Erica is that she talks about, uh, you know, being ready to go out there in 2020 and then having to put a pause on it. And she said that what she learned during the pandemic was that she doesn't really have to prove anything to herself. She just wants to be herself. And she said that she was ready to go out last year, like ready to make a splash and make really big moves and, um, you know, win the game and now she's okay with just going out and being herself maybe that's a good strategy but i feel like the wind came out of her sail a little bit and it makes me nervous for erica how do you feel about erica i'm excited she's someone that after watching the video i was like i am curious to see what she will be like when put on the island um because i don't have a sense of how others will react to her um but i think for her the the tricky thing is going to be forming tight alliances because one thing about nothing in her gameplay seemed to imply you know playing like todd requires that she forms quick bonds with people Mm -hmm. early on and so i'll just be curious to see who on this tribe she links up with and how tight she's going to make those initial bonds because that gameplay in particular requires especially when you have these three tribes of six if she's going to play exactly like todd she would need to find her courtney and amanda from the outset and stay with them and make sure that she's able to take the two of them with her into the merge, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm just curious to see, as you said, if she has that, that wind in her sails that was once there, if it remains. And the only thing I could see being her downfall is if that sort of like precociousness she seems to have is seen as off-putting to her tribe at all. Mm. Um, there's a world in which I could just see like her, I could see her personality rubbing people the wrong way, uh, depending on, on how sort of, she's seen within the tribe so i'll be curious to sort of see how she fits into the tribe dynamic because when you have these tribes of six i think that like your personality uh and its ability to invite people in or rub people the wrong way is just exacerbated because there's less people around um and so i think she's one of those people that again like i said from someone earlier i either see her going out really quickly or staying around for a really long time yeah i i totally agree And I hope she's sticking around, personally. Uh, Let's move on to Heather Aldrit. Heather is a 52-year-old stay-at-home mom. Uh, She hasn't been staying at home forever. She used to flip houses, uh, but a few years ago decided to stop doing that uh, and stay at home. She says that she used to do all of the work flipping houses except like the electrical and plumbing or something so uh she's kind of a workhorse it sounds like ready to get the job done uh she's from charleston what is that south carolina sc not american yeah uh she she references playing like tina wesson lisa welchel and chrissy hoffbeck which i guess is like the mom archetype queens like i love that she named those three especially lisa like you never hear Anybody say that they want to play like Lisa Welchel, but she made it to the final tribal. Like, there's a lot to be said for her. Uh, She says that she has a ridiculously high threshold for pain, uh, which reminds me of what Sarah said about pain. Uh, So she could be a potential challenge beast, like maybe in endurance challenges. Uh, 
Uh, and she grew up very rural. So uh, she talks about knowing how to catch and clean fish and things like that. So I think Heather on paper, uh, you know, I we've seen, especially in recent seasons, the mom archetype uh, fail. But maybe Heather has the right recipe to go far in this game and, and be an asset to a tribe. Well, I was going to say also we had Christy um, go really far and she sort of adhered to the mom archetype. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's a lot working in her favor. Um, And Heather seems like she's going to be a really great narrator for the season. I just got a really good sense of like her in the confessionals and her feeling very easy to listen to. I feel like Heather can go really, really far. I'm curious to see, as you pointed out, like if she has the physical aspect in her because, you know, at 52, which is obviously not old at all, but she is older in the scheme of this game. And so I'm hoping that she can sort of keep up but I mean it sounds like she has a lot to offer around camp it sounds like she's going to have a strong social game and it sounds like she's a student of the game I mean there's just there's a lot working in her favor and I think just you know having Lisa be an example of someone that you point to as as someone that you want to emulate shows me a dynamism about her that I really seek out in my players so I've definitely got my eye on her yeah I'm excited about Heather let's talk about another interesting player Nasir Mutalif He's 37, he's a sales manager, and he's originally from Sri Lanka. Uh, We have had Sri Lankan players before, Anadia and Natalie. So, and one of them, of course, is a winner. So is he going to do it again? Uh, He's currently in Morgan Hill, California. Uh, He says that he learned English watching Survivor. So apparently he's watched all the seasons and i don't know who he learned his english from but i hope it's not sue hawk or big tom truly uh and is he walking around that island uh looking for tapioca i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but uh he has this incredible backstory about growing up in sri lanka without running water or electricity Um, I saw him tell a story on Entertainment Weekly about the first time that he saw electricity and experienced it. So I think this is a really interesting guy. Um, He knows his survivor. So I wonder, you know, whether he's got the strategic game. Uh, My concern is that uh, he mentioned that he loves Philip Shepard. So like that's a red flag for me. Uh, maybe he just loved the character of Philip Shepard, but a uh, little concerned about that. But, you know, if uh, if he learned his English from Survivor, I feel like he should know his way around this game. Totally. What do you think of Nasir? I feel like he's got a lot going for him. I just feel like there's something really charming about him. I feel like he just has so much to offer. Definitely seems like a student of the game. And sometimes I look at a player and I'm just like, I'm trying to think of the ways in which I could see people turning on them or like, or, or getting them out early on. And I just don't see a world in which he goes out early. Yeah. I feel him being strong in multiple aspects of the game. And I feel like he seems like people are going to want to align with him very quickly in the game. He, like, I guess he I'm could, even yeah. speaking from my own experience. It's like, of all the players I see, he He's the one I feel like I would seek out on the island at the outset and be like, let's make a final two. Yeah, he gives me a little bit of a Suri vibe, to be honest, like somebody that people are going to be drawn yes. to and probably trust. Uh, so we'll see if he has Suri's strategic game, too. It'll be really interesting to watch Nasir. Uh, finally, for this tribe, we have Sydney Siegel. She is 25 years old. She's a law student from L.A., 
currently living in Brooklyn. She's the one who says she plans to play like Natalie White, but also references Denise and Russell. Uh, she, <laughs> she is planning on wearing as little clothing as possible in her cast photo. She is in the tiniest bikini I have ever seen on Survivor. Uh, I, I don't know what to make of her. Uh, she is extremely confident. Uh, she has big kind of like bro vibes. I feel like she's going to get along with the guys. You know, she like, she loves Rocky and she loves 007 and like, I just see her as a real like bro, if that makes sense. Uh, what do you think of Sydney? I think she's going out early, but the thing about really? her is that like she's giving so much that part of me thinks it's like a mislead um, because I keep thinking that like I you know there's so many players on this show had I watched their videos like this I would have had a similar I would have been like oh well, they're gonna be out in an instant so I I'm curious I think she's going to have it, people are gonna make an impression of her very quickly mm-hmm. and are either gonna be pro or against her from the outset so she if she doesn't make immediate attachments I think she's gonna have a target on her back right away but I think she has the opportunity if she plays her cards right to make those immediate attachments. And I do think that there are going to be men or women uh, on this island that are going to, that her seduction will, will work and work to secure her in the game longer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I see Sydney going far. I really do. I think that she is the right amount of chaotic for modern survivor. Uh, she really reminds me of a lot of the male game bot types that come in and play Modern Survivor and do really well. Uh, she does not believe in alliances. She believes in voting blocks and trust clusters, if we're quoting Ugh. Millennials versus Gen X. Uh, and I think, you know, she's the last person on the tribe, so let's talk about the tribe. I think she's set up pretty well in this tribe. I think that people like Deshaun and Danny especially will be um, drawn to her uh, because of not just the way she looks, um, but also because of her personality. I mean, I think she would get along with guys very, very well. Uh, and that's not necess- that's not in like a poverty sort of flirting way. I mean, I think their interests are probably aligned. So, you know, when I look at this tribe, my fear is that like Deshaun and Sydney are going to get together and be like the evil duo. And then they're going to use Nasir as a vote and, you know, get rid of Heather or something. So, and I don't know where Erica fits in this. I, I just, there's some big personalities that are rubbing me the wrong way a little bit on this tribe, Sydney and Deshaun, especially. Uh, who do you think might be the first person to go from this tribe? I mean, I think it's between Heather or Erica, um, yeah. but I would love to see a world in which that didn't happen. This is a very physical tribe. Yeah, this is this is a strong tribe. Yeah. They seem pretty stacked, and Erica, being five foot tall, could be in trouble. Um, so we will see. But there's could be you know throw someone in a wheelbarrow and roll them around, in which Erica's perfect. So. Absolutely. <laughs> I hope we get the wheelbarrow challenge. Okay, let's talk about our final tribe, Yasa. First up, we have David Voce, who will be going by Voce. One name. I already hate that. 
<laughs> he's 25. He's from Chicago. He is a neurosurgeon. And he is a big game bot. He seems like a super aggressive player. Uh, I think you've probably seen that from his brief video and his interviews. He is coming into this game swinging. Uh, I think that he he is maybe a good example of somebody who has overstudied the game. What do you think of him? I don't like him at all, but I also feel like he's seems like he was air quotes designed for me not to like him. Mm-hmm. And I would mm-hmm. say I've seen this archetype has done very, very well, very consistently throughout the show. So as much as I don't like him at the outset is as much as I think that he, and especially given this season, will either be out very early or could win the game. Although I'm not, I don't see him winning the game this season, but I just feel like he's not a middle-of-the-road player. He reminds me of Dom from Ghost mm. Island. Like, he gives me that vibe. But uh, look what happened to Dom. I mean, I know, so. I know. Uh, he cites uh, Russell, Todd, Natalie Anderson, and Kelly Wentworth as people he would like to play with. So all big big uh, strategy, big move kind of people, Uh, except for Todd. I think that that's really interesting. I feel like that's just a nod to him knowing Survivor and knowing the great winners. He believes that he can rival Todd in his final tribal performance, should he get there, uh, and that he's looking for complete loyalty in an alliance. So maybe that is is a Todd aspect, right? Um, But it strikes me as more of a Russell aspect, complete loyalty or else. Uh, I think he said something in his video like, I'm not afraid to stab you in the back with my scalpel. <laughs> it's just like, I'm getting a bad vibe from Voce. Uh, but, you know, it's the kind of pe- person that Survivor loves. Right. He also, I think, must moonlight as a Ben Shapiro impersonator in his spare time. Okay. <laughs> Eric Abraham, who I believe is going as Abraham uh, on Survivor. He's 51. He's a cybersecurity analyst, uh, but he's former Air Force and a former professor. uh, And he's based out of San Antonio, Texas. Okay, what do I got here for him? He's into diving and he's into astronomy. And he says he'll play like Richard Hatch, Wendell, and Boston Rob. Okay, interesting. but he also says that he wants to play with people who understand that Survivor is not a fast-paced game. So, I mean, like ironic Jeannie, given the season. Yeah, I know. Like Jeannie, not sure if he got the memo on the 26 right. days by the time he was answering these questions. Uh, I th- think that that could set him up for you know being on the wrong side of a vote early on. But this guy's super charismatic. Uh, he's got a real presence about him. I don't think he's the kind of player who's for me, but he's an interesting guy. What do you think about him? I think he seems really interesting in that I think he can form really strong bonds. I feel like he's the kind of person that once he gets someone in uh, in an alliance with him, they're going to be... It, it, they would be very they would need to be a really strategic player in order to turn on him I feel like he's just someone that's going to gain loyalty easily uh, from people which is going to work really well and I feel like the slow gameplay um, I actually think is a good strategy to go into the game with um, whether or not one can utilize that strategy given the changes in the game will be interesting but I definitely see him going far 
Yeah, you know, like just reading, uh, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but reading his name after Voce's, I feel like the two of them could probably team up pretty well Mm. together. Uh, Which, let's go to our next tribe mate here because I think uh, that this person is not going to play so well with a Voce or an Abraham. This is Evie Jagoda, our very first non-binary survivor contestant. Evie's pronouns are she, they. Evie is a 28-year-old PhD student in evolutionary biology at Harvard, uh, and uh, they have an amazing pet peeve, which we haven't been reading the pet peeves from... Uh, the bios because they're like whatever but evie's pet peeve is men not all men but i cannot stand machismo and mansplainers anything like that drives me insane in grad school i dealt with a lot of know-it-all male energy and it's a lot back when i dated men i once broke up with a guy because we were on a trip to budapest and he kept pronouncing it budapest to prove how smart and worldly he was and it was the biggest turnoff i broke up with him literally 30 minutes after we got back from the trip. That is my favorite line from anybody's bios that I've read yet. Like, I am totally enamored with Evie. So Evie, I think, is a pandemic watcher of Survivor. I think they're quite new to the show. But they seem to understand the game very, very well. Evie's answers uh, are very well thought out, reference many, many historic survivor moments uh they want to play like a uh, uh, a second in command so that's a really interesting strategy because a lot of people want to lead an alliance right but evie wants to play second in command uh and know when to cut the leader and they st- they cite specifically uh the downfall of steven versus jt as well as uh the non-members of the Kim Alliance in in one world as people who didn't know when to cut the leader. So I think Evie's like really set up well here. I think that they have a really good understanding of the game and I really hope that they can pull it off. I also just want to mention Laurel from Ghost Island as being an example of someone that did not know when to cut the leader mm-hmm. at the right time. So mm-hmm. I think the fact that Evie's even thinking about this strategy is is brilliant. I think Evie has it all. I am absolutely here for Evie. I think also it's worth noting, so between Evie, Jeannie, and Ricard, we have three LGBTQ plus players. I believe the last time was Micronesia, if I'm correct, with Amy, Chet, and Natalie Bolton. I could be wrong. Fact check uh, me. Maybe. But, maybe. Maybe. But even so, it is not common to have uh, this many LGBTQ plus cast members, uh, especially uh uh, you, know, you know, on reality TV in general, but I mean, it's just super duper exciting. Um, and especially to have our first out non-binary contestant is incredible. Um, Evie just seems like someone that's going to be really easy to root for, someone that's really level-headed, and I feel like Evie is going to be a player that's going to gain the trust of others easily. I think the only thing that is going to be interesting for them is is getting through that first vote, just because, you know, as yeah. you mentioned, I feel like this Voce is going to team up with Eric and could potentially bring in uh, other players tribe members uh particularly one that we haven't mentioned yet xander and so i just think for evie it's really a matter of getting through that first vote and once they clear that i think that 
especially if they make it into through the swap or the merge, I feel like they're in a really, really good position. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about our, our next tribe member, Leanna Wallace. She is a 20 year old college student and spoken word poet from Evanston, Illinois, currently in DC. She wants to play like Tony, but didn't like him as a viewer, which I think is uh, very insightful because I too didn't like Tony as a viewer, but if I was playing Survivor, sure, I want to play like Tony. I mean, he's great at the game, you know, maybe not in Game Changers, but that aside. Uh, But she also cites Elaine, who you don't know uh, from season 39, a hybrid of the two. So, you know, Elaine has the likability factor. Tony has the strategic factor. So, I mean, if you can combine those two people at all, I don't really see the love child between Tony and Elaine being a thing. But uh, if you could, that would be interesting. Um, She says that she is going to pay a little bit of a a background game. So like, for example, she says if she got a vote at tribal council, she would not retaliate against the person. She would come after them silently. And I think she's really uh, quite conscious of not blowing up her own game. Uh, I think she mentions in a few different places uh, that that is a mistake a lot of people do by talking to too many people and telling too many people what the plan is. So I think that that's an interesting insight. And for somebody so young who apparently has been watching Survivor her whole life, uh, uh, I'm kind of curious to see what she does out there. What do you think of Liana? She's definitely interesting, but I, I do just want to mention the sort of I wouldn't retaliate. I mean, I can. there are very few instances in which it wouldn't be multiple votes against you. And, you know, it's like it's easy to have that strategy when it's like, yes, if one person put a vote against you, I get it. Your strategy would be like you wouldn't yeah. necessarily be targeting them. But chances are if it's it's going to be multiple people, if not a whole alliance that's coming after you. So I just am not sure how that strategy actually activates itself in the game because – often on this game it's like if shots are fired you need to fire back or you need to assemble a team that will help you fire back so i guess i just am curious to see her strategy in action um but yeah i mean she definitely seems like she's uh definitely light years ahead in terms of her age versus uh, you know how she can play the game but also worth noting this is a season with multiple not only multiple young people but multiple young people that are explicitly mentioning their youth, uh, whether by choice or by CBS's urging. So that aspect of, you know, the uniqueness of sort of being a young person in the game, I think has, that's been lost, I think, since, you know, Spencer and Togachins maybe. Uh, this mm. just, we've had, that's been an element of the game for a long time. Um, and yeah, so I'm just, I'm curious to see how she will ingratiate herself within this tribe, but she definitely does not give me outsider vibes. So I think she'll have a, have an easy time lying low in the beginning and I'll, we'll see how she plays. I think the fact that she I, gave the longest answers of any person on, of all of these 18 contestants is worth noting. I thought Evie did. Oh. I mean, Evie's bio was long, but maybe, maybe. No, uh, no. you're Evie's right. You're right. You're long. right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Oh, no. Evie has actually... nothing but time. Evie's is actually. <laughs> you're right. I actually missed that because Evie's goes onto a second page. That's what I Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. So this okay, is a chatty, about... a chatty tribe. Chatty tribe. Uh, I mean, look, Leanna's a spoken word poet. Indeed. She's, uh, she knows and her way around And speaking of words. someone who gave very short answers. 
Yeah, let's go to Tiffany Seeley. She's a 47-year-old teacher from Plainsview, New York. She was actually an alternate. And uh, in a preview that they released for the season, uh, we actually saw a clip of her at home finding out that she was going to Survivor. It was very Big Brother-esque. Uh, in the way that, uh, you know, you I don't know if they still do it, but when they would show them get their keys to, to the house. Um, so that's really interesting. First of all, that they showed that. I love that they showed that. It reminds me of in the early seasons when they would show, you know, a clip of somebody and say, this person who's a truck driver and this person who's a teacher. Uh, we get a little bit of a glimpse into their life. So I, I hope that we uh, get more of that, not just from Tiffany, but we saw this clip of her in her life, finding out she was going to Fiji, uh, screaming and jumping on her husband. Very endearing moment from a very charismatic person. I think Tiffany has got the X factor for Survivor. Like she is a very, very magnetic person. Uh, she says she identifies with Adam Klein, uh, but that she will play like Ozzy competitively, Colby loyally, and Parvati endearingly. First of all, love that she's naming only old school players. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, they may be, you know, three of the biggest names, but I love the effort. She is a huge fan of Survivor, I think, based on her answers. Apparently, she even got engaged to her husband while watching an episode of Survivor, uh, which is very romantic. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that she has already uh, emerged as an early favorite of the online community to win. Uh, she's being given a very positive treatment in the preseason material. That could be a red herring, but uh, what do you think about Tiffany so far? I mean, I think you said it best with the X factor of it all. And I think that, you know, if this audience is clinging to her this early on, there's a reason. And I am aligned with them on that. There's just a quality about her. She seems extremely watchable. She seems very natural, but also very excited by the game. Um, yeah, I just there's so many things working in her favor and I, she makes me really excited to see how the season plays out. And I think that she, I really hope can, can make it through to emerge because I think when it comes to the individual game, I think she'll be really good at strategizing with multiple people. I really see her being able to harness relationships within different alliances. I feel like I can just see her really webbing her way into the game nicely. Yeah. And she's a teacher, you know, I think teachers can do that. Like teachers have mm -hmm. a lot of experience, you know, they have to deal with, and and kids you know like huge groups of new people and bringing them together like i think that that is not like a surface level quality to have on survivor i think that is one example of a job that actually helps you in this game agreed and we don't see a lot of teachers let's talk about xander hastings the final person of this cast uh he is a 21 year old app developer from jacksonville he currently lives in chicago He's super fit and active. He's a runner. Uh, he believes himself to be very smart. <laughs> uh, and uh, he says that he's going to play like the Golden Boy Challenge Beasts. He cites uh, Joe, Jay from Millennial versus, Millennials versus Gen X, and Devin from Triple H. Uh, he's into astrophysics. I wrote that down because, you know, we've got Abraham on this tribe who is into uh, astronomy, you know, maybe a little bit of crossover there. They could find uh, they could find kinship in that. And uh, he believes that he's going to be underestimated as a dumb jock. I'll say about him, you know, he does actually seem very smart, but he's very conscious of how smart he is. And it's like everything is 
I'm really super athletic, but I'm also really smart. Like, don't underestimate how smart I am. And I feel like he's showing his cards a little too much there. Mm. What do you think of Xander? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting being that he's 21 and how, like, the 20-year-old contestants are very much given, like, I'm so young. And then it's like, he's one year older than the really young people, but that's not a part of the narrative he's given at all, which I just think is worth knowing. Because it's like, Mm -hmm. he's really, really young too, but I don't think he's going to be considered really young. I can just tell in, in terms of how that's not, doesn't, he's getting the sort of edit of, like, I'm an app developer, but it's like you're a 21 year old app developer. Developer, mm-hmm. so I, I mean, I'd be curious to know. It's like how many apps? Yeah, how, how many, many apps? apps? And like in theory, <laughs> you just graduated college. Um, yeah. So yeah, so that makes me curious. But I mean, I think Xander's interesting in that he is the kind of player that we could have seen on so many other seasons that I think could have a different trajectory given this cast. Um, so I think that what would have made Xander a golden boy in seasons past might actually put a target on him early on um, as we saw on the current season. So on this current season of big brother that's airing right now, um, that was the first of the CBS shows to enact the 50% POC mandate. And as we saw, they the cookout, which is this all-black alliance of six contestants that have made it into the final six, they targeted uh, players like Xander early on because they recognized mm-hmm. them as the threats that they so often are in these games. So I think Xander is going to have a difficult time at the beginning if his tribe is smart enough because we just more often than not have seen Xander's advance very far in the game. I think that they often become a threat around the merge, but I think Xander could become a threat early on, especially if players um, like Liana, for instance, are smart enough to go to players like Voce uh, and to Eric and actually point out the fact that Xander is someone worth going after at the outset. So I'd like to see Xander go quickly. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, I hadn't considered that that uh, possibility. So that is our last cast member. Let's talk about Yasa quickly as a tribe. I think that uh, this is a little bit of uh, the dysfunctional family, I think, more than any other tribe. I think we've got uh, a real range of character types, all of them quite strong and in opposition. I'm thinking specifically of Evie's point about not liking uh, uh, know-it-all men, which we have one right here, Voce, right at the top of the list here. Uh, I think that we are about to see a battle royale between Evie and Voce, and I really hope that Evie can pull off a a vote against Voce because uh, I think it would be really cool for once on Survivor to see the Voce type go out first. You know, like it would just be such a victory for like the underdogs right yeah i would love to see like i'm in my mind i'm trying to figure out how is evie going to get out of being the first boot because i think that they're the very obvious first boot from this tribe and honestly i think if i look at the tribes it's probably likely that yas is going to lose the first immunity that's that's my prediction um, so I'm trying to figure out the way that I'm saving Evie in this situation. And so Evie could find kinship with Liana and Tiffany. And if they could pull in either Xander or Abraham, they could get Voce out or they could get uh, 
they could get Xander out if they pulled in Voce. I don't but know. But the other thing worth considering is it's like um, with Eric being 51, I mean, there's a world in which Eric is a physically weak link, like because of his age. Maybe. I mean, there's just like, and honestly, there's a world in which Evie is extremely physically dominant. So I would say this tribe has the biggest sort of like uh, question mark over it in terms of performance. But sure. I'm hoping, or like, you know, maybe Voce stumbles. There's who, this is why this gets so hard now, but there's the, I'm not going to remember his name. He was like the pit bull. You know that guy that was kind of like a human pit bull in like the it was in the Ben season. And he, no, anyway, don't, don't okay. ask me about. Okay, anyway, the ben but <laughs> but I just I think we've had examples in the past of people that appear physically dominant that just proved to be challenge duds, and so that yeah, could be voted. Yeah. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah. So you know, one interesting thing I'm going to point out about Yasa is that the buffs just went on sale for this, uh, for this season on the official CBS store. Uh, the Ua and Luvu tribe buffs are priced at $24 and something cents. The Yasa tribe buff is priced at $22. So for some reason, the yellow tribes buff is on sale. And I don't know what that says about their chances. My personal prediction, just based on that, is that at some point the Yasa tribe is going to be dissolved in a tribe swap. So we're going to go from three tribes to two tribes to merge. That's my guess. Uh, but it just doesn't bode well for me. Uh, you know, when I when I look at the tribes, I see Ua being a strong tribe. I see Luvu being a super strong tribe. And I see Yasa... You know, in a lot of seasons, they would be the strong tribe. But in this season, they seem a little all over the place. So uh, if I was going to pick a first boot, and maybe we should just do that. You know what? I'm going to go hopeful, and I'm going to say Voce first boot. Hmm. Do you care to throw a prediction out there? You know, It doesn't have to be from Yasa. I'm going to make Chantel my first boot. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Let's fast forward to the end. Do you want to make a winner pick? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious, but I think I'm going to have to go with sorry i'm scrolling through names i'm gonna have to go with tiffany okay i don't even think i need to explain why i just think like we mentioned there's just so much working in her favor i think there is the 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 only thing is we have not seen we have not seen a woman win in a very long time and we have not seen a woman like tiffany win in a very long time very very long time you know what i'm gonna go i would love to see tiffany win there's a lot of people in this cast that I would love to see win, but I'm going to go a little bit different and I'm going to pick JD as my winner. Mm. I think that JD's got a lot going for him and uh, Ua looks like a strong tribe to me. And I think that if, you know, if we had like a JD, Ricard, Sarah, Chantel alliance, which of course will get shaken up by a tribe swap, like, I, you know, I could see a group like that going far. Uh, and if they're able to pull in other people at a tribe swap, like I, I think that, that that could be a winning combination. But of course, this is like a total shot in the dark and we're going to be wrong, but that's half of the fun of totally. it. Totally. Okay, so that is everything that you need to know about season 41. It's coming up very soon. We said I'm, we'd be brief. Uh, <laughs> we said we'd be brief and we haven't, uh, as always. A theme, yeah, exactly. <laughs> But uh, hey, this is very exciting. We haven't been able to talk about this ever because uh, we haven't gone through a new season of Survivor. 
uh, together. And uh, we, as a world, have not had a new season of Survivor uh, in well over a year. So this is very exciting. So we'll be tuning in on Wednesday for a two-hour premiere. I assume two people are going to go home. I assume it'll be two tribals in a two-hour premiere. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen? I feel like I've gotten to know these people so well that it's going to be a, a real blow to me to lose mm. any of them because uh, then I'll feel like I wasted my time, which I did. Uh, but that's OK. <laughs> OK, Evan. Well, I'm sure we will be talking again very soon, uh, if not on the record, then off the record about all things season 41. So thank you for uh, uh, doing this stupid thing with me of going through all these people. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, If you're listening on Apple, make sure to rate and review us and uh, tell your friends about us if you like it. Thank you for listening. Take care. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.